I'm Abby Glassenberg of the blog Walshing Apps. Welcome to the podcast. This is a show where we can delve deeper into some of the topics discussed on the blog by having conversations with people in the online creative community. Today we're talking about Etsy. Etsy is the largest global online marketplace for handmade goods with a million sellers and over three million buyers. And it's become a household name for anyone interested in buying or selling one-of-a-kind artisan-made goods. You may have heard that Etsy made a pretty groundbreaking announcement last week. Beginning in January of 2014, sellers on the site will be allowed to hire staff, have someone else help ship their goods, and sell items they produce with manufacturing partners. These changes represent a significant shift in Etsy's policies and were met with both applause and serious trepidation from sellers and buyers alike. Some people cried out that Etsy was selling out, while others let out a sigh of relief that Etsy was finally allowing them to have a profitable business. At the heart of the discussion is the question of how we define handmade. I published a post about Etsy's new policies right after the announcement was made and Etsy reached out to me to discuss their impact. That led to today's interview. I'm excited to be talking with Vanessa Bertozzi, who has worked at Etsy since 2007. Vanessa is currently the program manager for Etsy Wholesale. She has been the director of community and education at Etsy and the editorial director responsible for launching the Etsy blog. Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, thanks for having me, Abby. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so we're going to get started. You've worked at Etsy for a long time now. How has Etsy changed over those years? Yeah, actually, um, just in your introduction, um, you said that there were 1 million shops and 3 million buyers, but it's actually over 30 million buyers. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Excuse um, my, uh, excuse my uh, mistake there. Thirty million—that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and um, I guess overall, you know, if the question is, how have things changed since I started at Etsy? When I when I started, um, there are about ten of us employees, including the four founders, and now the staff is approaching five hundred employees, um, and the community has grown um, really. It, it really, really, really flourished. So uh, I remember the day we passed 500,000 members total, and now, as as we said, there's a million shops and um, and 30 million buyers. So it's just a it's it's really been exciting to be part of something that's that's taken off and been successful. You know, Etsy at this point is a is a profitable company, um, and. You know, personally, when I think back to the early days of Etsy, it was, um, it was, you know, that crazy startup atmosphere where we all wore a ton of different hats and were, you know, running around like crazy trying to get this thing off the ground. And um, I remember the days where people would ask me, well, where do you work? And I'd say, Etsy. And they'd say, what? <laughs> and, now, um, and now most people I talk to have heard of it. Not everyone. We still have work to do there. But... Um, I think it's becoming closer to being a household name, which is really exciting. Um, and, you know, I think the thing, when I think about it, like the thing that remains true and has been a real through line is it's always been about um, 
Rob's original vision of um, people having more mindfulness when it comes to how they how they shop to consumerism um, and how things are made. And um, so I, I know we'll get more in depth there, but um, I still feel like even with these new changes in policy, um, it really is still rooted in that sense of mindfulness and, um, and connecting real people directly through, through our marketplace. Okay. Um, and just to clarify, could you just tell us who Rob is and who the CEO is now for oh, people yeah. who might not know? Um, Rob Kalen was the original founder of Etsy. So Etsy was started in June 2005, and Chad Dickerson came on as the CTO and over two years ago became the CEO. So he's now the big boss. Okay, great. All right, so let's um, delve into the changes now. So, um, so Etsy recently announced the policy changes for sellers, um, essentially sort of redefining what they consider handmade to mean. So describe first the old approach and the old policy, and then tell me what was seen as problematic about the old way. Yeah. Um, so as we all know, Etsy is a marketplace for handmade for handmade goods, um, and where you buy directly from the people that make those goods, as well as vintage, and we do define vintage as 20 plus years or older, um, as well as um, supplies. You can also sell supplies on Etsy. So, um, I mean, that in and of itself is a little bit confusing, and that it's not just handmade, it's vintage and supplies. Um, but anyways, let's focus on, on handmade. Um, over the years, we, we basically had this approach where we were trying to, um, you know, have Etsy stay, quote-unquote, stay handmade. And so the policies just um, kept ballooning as we kind of, you know, the, the approach was sort of like plastering on um, these bandages as we saw more and more kind of loopholes or gray areas popping up. We would try to make judgment calls and then policies to address each one of these different things. And, um, and the policies just became really unwieldy and long and confusing. And we saw from the community, um, especially sellers and some buyers too, just being like, you know, wait, I'm calling out this stuff because that doesn't seem handmade to me. And, um, and it was problematic for us because you know, we we had to interpret these policies and make judgment calls, and at the same time, we couldn't discuss the investigations that we had done behind the scenes because we have a policy of not discussing, like, the investigations that we do with a particular Etsy seller publicly. So it created a lot of, um, it created, a, you know, a lot of strife and confusion and people feeling like we were hiding something, and um, and the confusion was really came you know came down to how do you define handmade? Some people in the community feel like handmade is really just about an individual artist making something with their own two hands. Um, but then when you look at that, what does that actually what does making something with your hands mean? What if you use a laser cutter? You know, when Etsy started, laser cutting machines weren't even really around. Um, or what if you're an artist, you draw, 
um, but you you send your designs out to be silk screened onto garments or bags or what have you. So just we finally internally just realized, you know, we need to take a different approach here um, and make things a lot more transparent and simple. And so our focus was like, how do we get how do we get to clarity? Um, so with the new policies, the idea is. Um, you have to be the designer, but we're going to allow you to run your business in the way that you see fit, as long as you're really transparent about that on your Etsy shop and disclosing whether you have employees, whether you use outside manufacturing partners, um, and how, and really requiring that people be transparent about their process. So the policies are less hinged on um, what particular processes or production methods count and what don't, um, but rather like this is about your artistic vision and expression. This is about you running the business in a way that that you see fit, but just requiring you to be really open about that so that the other sellers can see what you're up to um, and so that the buyer can also understand um what it is in fact that they're buying and who they're buying from. Okay. So, so now let's, let's look at what exactly the new definition of handmade means because so we have a, like a three pronged approach. So tell me what those three prongs are and, um, and what they mean to Etsy. Yes. So the new definition of, um, what can be sold on the site hinges around these three principles. So this is our new approach, right? This is how we felt like we could get to a place of clarity um, and at the same time really create opportunities for our sellers to grow their businesses in ways that they see fit. So it's um, authenticity, responsibility, and transparency. And um, wait, did I say authenticity? I meant um, authorship. So authorship is this crucial idea that you're the one that came up with the idea and that you're the designer of the work. So again, you're not allowed to sell things on Etsy that don't come from your, that don't originate with you. And we're, you know, we never have, and we never will allow people to, um, sell things that, that didn't originate with them. And, um, and so that's like, this idea of people, big, big businesses coming and offloading goods that, um, are like, aren't their original designs. That's still not allowed. Um, can I, can I ask a clarifying question about authorship? So in my blog post, I was talking about the notion of, well, what stops Ikea from selling on Etsy, which was brought up actually at the town hall meeting con press conference in which the new policies were announced and one of the audience members asked that question and it struck me because a few years back I had interviewed a woman named Annie Holden who actually is the stuffed animal uh, designer for Ikea and um, it was you know really interesting to speak with her and she took me through her process of how she comes up with the designs and works with the factories overseas to have them um, you know, prototyped and uh, tweaked and prototyped again and choosing all of the fabrics, the embellishments, the eyes, etc. 
and then um, and then having them mass produced and sold under the IKEA brand. And so um, so it is kind of interesting because all of the things that we see at IKEA, for example, or at any uh, any brand and any store, right? They're all designed by someone, right? They all hire a designer um, to come up with the packaging, the every aspect of what we see. Um, and so, you know, there is authorship, but the is it the idea that because they're sold under this umbrella of a larger company and not sold by, for example, Ianni Holden, the IKEA designer herself, that that is what disqualifies it? Yeah, that's right. I saw you. Um, I saw your blog post about that, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, the main, yeah, the main difference, if you were to apply that to Etsy. Um, you know, say Annie applied to sell the stuffed monkey um, on Etsy, that that application would be rejected because it's not her own business. Um, and that IKEA, like the CEO of IKEA, isn't the one designing these products. Okay, and so, and he himself, I'm assuming it's a he, I actually don't know, but if uh, the CEO of IKEA applied, not that they would, but they could, if they could, um, and they would also be rejected uh, regarding the, the stuffed monkey because it was um, it was not designed by him. It was designed by her. That's right. Okay. Interesting. All right. So that's authorship. So, um, so what's the next of the three? The next one is responsibility. And so this is the, this gets to another crucial piece of, uh, of our policy, which is that you ultimately, as the, as the designer, as the head of your business, you're responsible for how your items are produced. Um, and so when we require that if you're going to use third-party manufacturing, that you, um, you have to demonstrate your responsibility for the whole production process. So what we're looking for there is to better understand your relationship with any third-party production help that you're getting to make sure that you have really tight oversight, that you understand all these different moving parts, and that ultimately you're really invested in high quality and, um, and really understanding each piece of that. So the idea here is we, we don't want to let on people who... Um, you know, come up with an idea and then just have some sort of <clears throat> fly-by-night arrangement where things are getting made <clears throat> without their um, without a really direct oversight, um, and that's what responsibility is about. For okay, us. so um, again, clarifying because it's it's all of these issues are so complex. So. Um, so would it require, for example, if I designed a plush toy and I um, contracted with an overseas factory to have it manufactured, um, which many of my friends and colleagues do, um, mm -hmm. would I actually need to, for example, travel to that factory to be able to meet the workers or meet the, the head of the factory? I mean, to what degree do I need to, to sort of know what's happening? Yeah, we would love to see that you've been and that you can personally vouch for working conditions. Um, but we're also going to be looking for things like you've done your due diligence and um, in, in researching and selecting a third-party manufacturer that, you're, that you want to work with. 
you know, did you look at how they were certified? Did you did you dig a little bit deeper to better understand how they do business and why did you select them? So is there going to be like safety and environmental and working conditions sort of agenda underlying these, you know, decisions that Etsy will need to be making, um, you know, with my application? Is there, you know, is that a priority for Etsy to sort of say, well, you know, are the working conditions okay? Are the materials you're using truly safe? Is the process um, you know, damaging to the environment. Is that going to be a part of the application? Well, we require that Etsy sellers abide by um, a set of ethical standards. Um, and these are really around no child labor, um, no slave labor, um, and things like environmental and sustainable practices. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, Etsy's, we're not in the business of becoming a regulatory entity, you know, um, and we did do a lot of research into that, and um, we're going to be looking for the sellers to come forward and tell us what are the certifications that their, um, their manufacturing partners have, but we can't go out and visit all these, you know, all of these facilities ourselves and certify them. So it's something that we're that we will will definitely be looking at. Um, but I just I don't just to be completely honest, we I you know we as a company we can't we can't be the certifying entity. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, okay, so. Uh, so there was one more prong, right? We didn't finish. Yeah, and then the last prong is transparency. And so um, I really want to get down to brass tacks there because the transparency is where this all really, it all hinges on this because that's where, <laughs> that's where it comes down to literally showing and publicly showing how your work is being made and how you're operating your business. And, um, and so on Etsy, you have, um, you have an about page and you have your Etsy listings. And on those pages, if you pass this application where we say, okay, you're good to go. You're responsibly and, uh, responsibly you're responsibly operating your business and you've proven that you're the author of this work um, then you will be required to on your about page on your listings um, perhaps elsewhere in your shop um, disclose that you're using third-party manufacturers and disclose the other people that are your employees and what their roles are and really give more of a narrative about how you run your business and, and how it's grown to this point. And, um, and we really feel like this is great for a number of reasons. Number one, it just gives the whole community insight into um, how people are running their businesses so that nothing feels like you know, Etsy or these other sellers 
are being secretive or getting away with something. It's really about trying to let people come out into the fresh air and um, be clear about how their businesses are running. And then also it's, it's so that consumers, so that shoppers can really, um, you know, not only better understand how these businesses are being run and what goes into making these items, but then they can make their own judgment informed judgment calls on where they want to spend their dollars. Okay. Um, mm. So I have one, one more oh, sure. point about that, if I may. Yes. I am. Um, well, it's, it's about being open and transparent. And um, I've used some language like people coming out into the, the open about this. It's, I don't, I don't think people were necessarily hiding anything. I think there was just a lot of confusion about what was actually allowed on Etsy before. So I don't want people who do the, um, the manufacturing application and then have these elements on their Etsy shop full and open and transparent. I don't want them to feel like it's a punishment or somehow it's going to be damaging to their businesses. Um, I think it's actually something to be really, to be proud of. If that's how you want to grow your business, you should be really proud that you are, um, you know, you're helping to create jobs and contribute to the economy in this way and that you've reached a level where you're able to, to manage this type of business. I, um, you know, I've spoken to some people in the Etsy forums who've been upset because they feel like, um, you know, well, I'm a jeweler and I, these are my original designs, but a very common practice with jewelry is to send your, your you know, say it's a, a handmade ring where I'm doing the wax model and then I send it out to be cast. Say it's a casting company in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, you know, why should I be penalized and have to do that, have to disclose that when, um, you know, someone who's, whose jewelry practices more about sourcing beads or charms and stringing them, you know, why is that more handmade? And, and I just, I want us, to, I hope we're going to get to the place where we're not going to be debating what's more handmade than some, some other seller's process. And it's, I really, I, I think it's going to be done in, in a very tasteful way where it's not going to be um, disenfranchising someone who is using third-party manufacturing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, really I think it really does make sense. And I think, I mean, it does to me at least. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, on the one hand, there is a lot of work that goes into, for example, casting that yourself, if you could do that as a home process. Um, or doing all the work for whatever craft you do with your own two hands. Right. There's also, though, a tremendous amount of work involved in growing. Um, I mean, just for example, in the very in, in the most simple way of just hiring one other employee, the amount of work that it takes to hire and manage one other employee is tremendous. Not you know, not to mention everything else that would be involved if you were going to you know have kits printed and made and put together for you, or all of these other things. I mean, it it even to even to hire a factory to make something for you, it's a ton of work to do that. You know, um, and it so in other words, I guess even when you um, sort of make you know expand, it doesn't mean that you're not doing any work anymore. 
Right. Um, you are doing just as much, if not more work, to have to sort of grow that business. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's different work. Um, and and at the end of the day, we think it's all really it's all really valid and it's all really exciting, you know? Like I, I'm thrilled by this incredible work um, that's one of a kind and it's one artist's vision and labor and just expertise that's gone into that one item. And I think there's a story to, t- to be told there. And then I am also really excited by someone who's, you know, decided to, um, there's enough demand and they want to take their business in the direction where they're using third-party help or hiring on employees. Um, and I just think at the end of the day, we just we want it all to be out there and, um, and really visually and through the personal narratives of the, of the artists, just really open. So to what degree is the new, was the new policy made in order to hang on to these sort of very successful, um, high-demand sellers who are, you know, really selling a lot of product? Um, you know, because I'm sure in the forums and elsewhere, people have said in a sort of accusatory way, well, you know, every time an item is listed and sold, right, Etsy profits. And so this is just a way to sort of hang on to those sellers who are listing and selling and listing and selling with huge volume. So to what degree, and what is the response to that? Mm. Well, you know, Etsy's stance, and one of the reasons why I think it's a great place to work, personally, is that the success of the Etsy community is our success as well. So the more sellers that are doing well, the better off the company is. And that's a really, like, just to be totally frank about it, that's our financial arrangement with our community. And um, and so, yeah, I think part of the decision was it, it was really heartbreaking to see really successful sellers kind of, you know, use Etsy as a launching pad but then move on. And we want to be a marketplace and, and a destination where you find, you know, not just emerging artists, um, not just people who are doing it for pleasure, for fun, for hobby, but professional people as well. And, um, and you know, I'm not saying that all professionals leave Etsy right now, um, but, you know, they're, they're definitely, there's a certain number of people that, we're hoping we'll be um, we'll be able to stay um, or come back. Yeah, totally. It's not the only reason that that went into these policy changes. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, the policies were so confusing for our community. They were also confusing for us internally. We spun our wheels a lot trying to manage, um, you know, and enforce this policy that was just hard to interpret and be consistent and fair-minded. So there's that. And then, you know, I think, I think the other thing is over, you know, since 2005, there's, there's been, there has been this larger shift beyond just the, the, you know, the walls of Etsy. um, There's been a larger shift in the nature of manufacturing um, and I think there's a more general aware, awareness, 
especially in the U.S., about small manufacturing, um, local manufacturing, sustainable manufacturing. And, um, you know, there's with the recession, um, economic situation, um, there is a there's a real moment right now for small business and entrepreneurship and um and we wanted to be part of that we didn't we were at a bit of a, a crossroads where we go one direction tighten our policies um have a tighter definition of handmade and kick off a bunch of people off the site and basically have to become more like a jury site um or go in this other direction where we're more of a platform for for small business. Um, and that can mean handmade, one-of-a-kind, just you. Or it can mean a growing small business where you're bringing out employees and doing um, micro-manufacturing. Using new tools like laser cutters that never even, or 3D printers. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a number of reasons. Um, not just hanging on to sellers who are leaving or thinking of leaving, but more clarity for us, our community, and internally, and also this larger context of, uh, you know, the, our chance to have a real economic impact. Yeah, and setting yourself up to be able to participate in sort of new technologies and in um, the way micro businesses are going to be run going forward. Yeah, and so when we when we came up with these new policies, we knew that we wanted them to be able to endure the test of time, and so the approach had to be different. And so we really wanted to boil it down to the real elemental, crucial aspects that authorship, responsibility, transparency, and have it have less of this approach of like, you know, as I said before, just plastering on these caveats and trying to cover over loopholes. So we, we really tried to pay the policies and to be future thinking and to anticipate, you know, there's probably going to be new technologies and new ways of doing businesses um, that pop up that, you know, that, that we can't even imagine right now. Right. That's definitely true. So, so that actually brings me to my last question, which is what do you think Etsy is going to look like five years from now? <laughs> oh my god I have to say considering the amount of change that uh that that I've that I've witnessed since I've been at Etsy almost seven years five years from now whew, uh in a way I, I you know I can I could go crazy in that kind of like imagining the science fiction future <laughs> of Etsy you know Etsy on the moon um but uh I think, yeah, I mean, just picking up back up on this notion of um, this, what I hope is not just a trend, but a real movement that continues to grow where consumers are more mindful of uh, and conscious and informed about how and where things are made and who they're buying from. If, if that's the case, then, then I think that five years from now, Etsy will be full of businesses that are doing, that are working in really interesting ways um, where technology is helping people to work more efficiently, creatively, um, perhaps partnering with, um, you know, small manufacturers locally will become easier um, as well as, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see more partnerships across the world um, that 
are facilitated through technology. Um, I think that's that's something that's really important to Etsy is that this isn't just about you know handmade in the USA. This is really about a global movement um, and trying to help small businesses all over the world. So I think Etsy will continue to be um, more and more global. And um, but I think you know if we're going to stay true to what we what we really feel passionate about and what I think is distinctive about Etsy, it's it's gotta it's gotta remain true to to real people, to to artists and creative people who um, you know aren't just making making these business decisions, but also are are really taking a leap into how they want to run their lives um, and being being their own bosses um, and getting their work out there. Um, that's something that that I think really gets to why Etsy can be so inspiring. Um, it's because uh, it's just incredible to see artists and creative people put their work out there and 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 I'm hoping there'll be lots of unexpected new ways that they'll do that and they'll do that with Etsy. Yeah, I'm excited to see the future. I've been an Etsy seller since July of 2005, so I've ridden all of these waves and um, I'm still there. I still plan to be there. Um, and I, I'm just very, really fascinated to see how it unfolds going forward because this is, this is a significant shift. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I just, I wanted to say to your listeners, I know that there's a lot of anxiety um, amongst the community and in the forums chatting with people. People are really um, scared because it's sort of opening up to the unknown. And, um, and, I, and I think that once we start showing some of these stories of the types of businesses that these new policy, policies are going to be really empowering to, I, I think that everyone's going to feel a lot better um, once they see once they see in actuality what right now seems really abstract. And that'll start in, in January. Yeah, if not sooner. I mean, we're already getting people um, applying to work with manufacturers and, um, and yeah, hopefully we'll be able to share those stories really soon. Interesting. Great. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for sharing Etsy's perspective with us. It's been great talking to you. Abby, thanks so much for having me. This has been really great. Yay. Um, and for listeners, if anything we've talked about in the interview has raised questions for you or if you have comments or ideas to share with me or with Vanessa, I'd invite you to join the discussion by writing a comment on this post on my blog, walshynaps.com. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Thank you so much for joining me today.